You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. You may please be seated. A sprite. In yesterday's sermon, I talked about a good bit about death and being prepared to die. Uh, the grim reaper has us on has us on his, our names on his list. It's, it's a list that I just assume not be on, but uh, uh, it's an unfortunate inevitable that we are on his list. But if you're like a lot of people, you don't particularly like to talk uh, about, about death. Uh, like, I know I talk a lot about cartoons, but another one of the cartoons that I have uh, framed uh, in, in my home up on the wall is the uh, a prim and proper lady in Central Park is seated there on the bench talking to her friend about a mutual friend, and she says, well, yeah, she's one of those bad mothers that says she's a bad mother, but believes she's a good mother. <clears throat> uh, and, the, and there's a lot of, a lot of, <laughs> it is hilarious. It, it, it's, <clears throat> it's just such profound truth uh, in, in, in that. Uh, neither, uh, be that as it may, uh, it, it, death is something that uh, we don't know a lot about. Uh, in some ways, it's a lot, it's, it's the greatest of the unknown regions. I often reflect on the way ancient cartographers, or that is map makers, used to depict uh, areas in the world where they had never been. And instead of leaving those regions uh, blank or, or writing on the maps that they were yet to be explored, what they did was fill those uh, places on, on the maps with uh, images of beasts and monsters uh, and uh, dragons. Why did they do that? Fear of the unknown. And death is the greatest of the unknown regions. Now, the human nature uh, has changed, uh, but not fear uh, of death. And if uh, this is true of death, then uh, how, how much more does it pertain to an experience uh, like death? And we ask ourselves, uh, uh, most people do, at least in the privacy of their own hearts, uh, will I stay dead uh, forever? Or the atheist right to insist uh, that there is nothing uh, beyond uh, the urn or the coffin or wherever uh, we choose to to end up. Is, is it is it true that it is uh, nothing but oblivion, e eternal uh, nothingness? Well, the Bible <clears throat> is perfectly clear on this. To quote again, as I did yesterday from uh, Hebrews, the ninth chapter, the twelfth verse: uh, "It is appointed for men and women to die once, and then comes judgment." And in other words, every soul will live beyond the grave. 
And according to the clear witness of the Bible, every soul will then stand naked uh, before God. Now, that word nakedness is, is a metaphorical term, obviously, but it is a, it's a metaphorical truth. And so in light of what I've said, uh, uh, I, I, I ask you, uh, in, in as much as that Adam and Eve, after they had uh, uh, taken the forbidden fruit, it says in the Bible that they, that they were naked before God and they were ashamed. So that nakedness is, is, a, is a metaphorical truth is true to the Bible. And I would ask you in light of that, uh, how would you feel really, as silly as, this, as silly as this may sound, how would you feel to disrobe yourselves completely and come up here and, and stand on that podium there uh, uh, naked? I, I'm telling you, you're blessed that I have on this cassette. <clears throat> But it's not a far-fetched image uh, because that's exactly how, that's what in fact is, that's just a little, uh, a faint <clears throat> foretaste uh, of an image of what it might feel to one day stand before the penetrating eye of God before whom all, 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 nothing is hid. <clears throat> now, I take it for granted that there are no atheists uh, here this morning. I could be wrong. <clears throat> I'm not talking about people who are searching. I'm not talking about people who are struggling with their faith. Uh, I'm talking about uh, atheists. Uh, they're not struggling with their faith. They, they simply refuse to believe anything, any possibility beyond, uh, beyond the grave. And also take it for granted that there are many before whom I am preaching <clears throat> right now at this very moment that after death, you go, you, we hope to go to a place that we call heaven. And of course, <clears throat> the big question is, in all religions, how, so how do we get there? How do we get into heaven? <clears throat> Which was the primary question of Job uh, at the beginning of human history. How can, how can a man stand justified before God? That's the big question of Job. How can uh, people like you and, and, and me stand before God and be acceptable. Now, I haven't come all the way from southeast Florida uh, to tell you uh, what the Bible teaches us and something you've been taught since you've been a child, uh, a child in Sunday school, and that is the, the fact that our sins are forgiven uh, through what Christ accomplished on, on the death. And this is certainly true. Furthermore, that there is absolutely nothing for you to do. In light of yesterday's sermon, uh, Craig Small and I were talking, and someone asked Craig, uh, I, I want to be prepared for death. Uh, what, what can I do? And, and uh, Craig says, nothing. <clears throat> Every other religion I know is uh, uh, do, do, do. Christianity is done, done, done. Nothing more to do. It is finished, as Jesus said from the cross. But <clears throat> having said that, there is a great marvel behind this glorious fact. And what many people uh, do not know is, is fully understand is the fact that we need not only a clean slate, we need not only uh, forgiveness, but we also need something, and that is a righteousness that we don't have. Uh, as the Bible says, only the righteous shall inherit God's kingdom. And so what many do not fully grasp is the fact that uh, also is about, it's, it's, it's about not Jesus' death, but by Jesus' total obedience to God's holy law that we are saved to enter 
the kingdom of God. And through grace alone, because we have been saved by grace through faith, God therefore imputes to us his righteousness. Jesus' righteousness is imputed to you and me. And it's not that we are righteous ourselves, but God imputes to us. God looks on us. God considers us to be clothed in his son's righteousness. So as an ex-haberdasher, I I have always uh, maintained that you are what you wear. Uh, And it's it's interesting because before I was converted to Christianity, that was a slogan for our business. You are what you wear. And now after my conversion, I see that there is a profound reality to the fact that you are what you wear. It's called imputed righteousness. It's the opposite of inherent righteousness. Inherent righteousness, quite frankly, is a joke. There's not one saint in heaven at this very moment that is not robed in the pure white robe of Christ's righteousness. Not one. Uh, Great passages in Zechariah. I was just looking at before I preached. Uh, Joshua is standing before God in judgment and the devil is there to accuse Joshua and the angel tells the uh, Satan said, uh, be gone. And he says to the angel, take off those polluted garments. He stood there and he had what we might consider, he had soup stains on his shirt that had been there for weeks. This is my, the version of the Bible, the Limehouse uh, uh, a version. He had soup stains all for a week. He'd been there a couple of weeks. And he said, take that shirt off and put on him uh, the breastplate of righteousness. That's That's imputed righteousness, and he stood righteous before God. In the Hebrew, it's called Jehovah Sitkenu, that we just sang about. The T is silent. Jehovah Sitkenu, translate the Lord is our righteousness. When the prodigal son uh, finally came home to his waiting father, what did the father do? He had open arms, and it's the first thing he tells him, and he put on, he said, put on him my best robe. That refers, that's a metaphorical allusion to Jehovah Sitkenu, the Lord is your righteousness. Uh, take the man at the wedding feast. Uh, why did he get booted out of the Jesus tells that parable? He was in the wedding feast with everybody else who has on a garment, uh, a wedding garment. But he decides he's not going to wear something that's given to him. He don't want to wear a rented tuxedo. He wants to wear his own coat. And he's in there in his own righteousness and he gets booted out. <clears throat> this refers to Christ's righteousness. Paul said in Galatians, For as many of you have been saved by Christ, have put on Christ. You are what you wear. In Ephesians, it is written, Stand therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. I could go on and on. It's the doctrine of imputed righteousness. It's written throughout Scripture. Jehovah said, Can you? Can you possibly hear that too much? Are you a sinner? Well, so am I. Christ died for our sins. So therefore, let us rejoice to say, Jehovah said, can you? Christ is our righteous. Do you ever feel unworthy to come in here and to worship? <clears throat> so do I. But remember, Jehovah said, can you? Christ is your righteousness. Do you ever feel unworthy to, to say your prayers, to fall to your knees and say your prayers? Well, so do I. Do I, if you think I felt good enough to climb into this pulpit here to preach? Heavens for no. But Christ said, Jehovah said, can you? Christ is my righteousness. And if Christ is truly my righteousness, of whom shall I fear? 
Now, I want to close my two days with you by talking to you about a man. <clears throat> and his name is Robert Murray McShane, <clears throat> who was born in the early 1800s in Edinburgh, Scotland. Uh, he was ordained. He was highly respected by his peers. He was a poet. He was a man of letters. He was a sinner, just like you and me. And he openly talked about being a sinner. He said, his, he said with his congregation on Sunday, he said his confessional uh, openly. But he never really had his heart of hearts behind the confession. Like another one of my cartoons, uh, there's this prim and proper lady on a bench in Central Park. I don't know why it happens on a bench in Central Park often. But she says about the, her acquaintance, uh, I think I've already quoted that sermon. Uh, she's a bad mother. Who says she's a bad mother but thinks she's a good mother? <clears throat> well, you've heard that already, but that's what she said. <clears throat> but that was, Mc, that was McSwain. He was a sinner who said he was a sinner but thought he wasn't. Not really. Uh, technically, like the man told me in Birmingham, yeah, technically I'm a sinner. <clears throat> No, he did. <clears throat> he was talking about his wife. He was talking on and on about how his estranged wife had let him down. I said, tell me, did, do you think you're a sinner? He said, well, you know, technically I'm a sinner, but. <clears throat> <clears throat> well, one day, Robert, and I asked him if I could quote him, and I have many times. One day, Robert McShane, while he was recovering from a serious fever that eventually took his life, I think he was at 29 years old, very young age, he wrote this hymn that is before you describing his journey from being an upright sinner, as he called himself uh, at that stage, to believing that he had, had only one hope, and that is, Jehovah said, can you? The Lord is our righteousness. So if you would, just pick up your, 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 your hymn there and, and look with me at the first stanza. <clears throat> I once was a stranger to God and to, to grace and to God. I knew not my danger and felt not my load. He felt not the burden of sins. Though friends spoke in rapture of Christ on a tree, Jehovah said, Kenya was nothing to me. And so for all of his open religion, McShane here says that uh, the grace of God was a stranger because uh, that no one had put that burden on, on his shoulders. Uh, he had not put it on himself. As far as he was concerned, he had his own righteousness, his own good life. That was sufficient for him at this point in life. So Jehovah said, Kenya was nothing to me, he says. Now, like so many people who feel this way, uh, he could from time to time be emotionally uh, involved in his worship uh, services. He could like go to Good Friday service and hear, uh, and hear I was there when they crucified my Lord and he, he, he could be moved, he chills could come up and down his spine, but it didn't have any enduring meaning. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, this is expressed in the second stanza when he said, I oft read with pleasure to soothe or engage Isaiah's wild measure and John's simple word. But even when they pictured the blood sprinkled, sprinkled tree, talked about the cross, Jehovah said, can you? I meant nothing particularly to me. But then the next two stanzas is a grand turning point in this hymn. Perhaps it was when death uh, threatened him. But who knows exactly when, but one day uh, God opened his eyes to the truth that all of his righteous garments uh, was like polluted uh, right out of Isaiah. 
and he saw that he only had one hope. Jehovah said, can you? And so he writes there in verse 4 and 5, verse 4, when free grace awoke me by light from on high, then legal fear shook me, I trembled to die. Now the law became a reality, God's law. No refuge, no safety in my own self could I see. Jehovah said, can you? My Savior must be. Stanza five, my terrors all vanished before the sweet name. My guilt fears vanished with boldness I came. To drink at the fountain, life-giving and free, Jehovah said, can you, is all thanks to me. Well, that's the journey that McShane took, and it's the journey that you and I must take uh, from being a sinful, from being a, 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 a man or a woman that is kind of secretly satisfied with our own righteousness, uh, but then going from there to someone who, uh, depending on uh, nothing else but God's, the righteousness of God, which had been imputed to us, and having gone that far from a man trusting in his own self uh, to trusting nothing but Jehovah said, can you, then he was prepared to die. And he expresses this so beautifully in the last stanza. Even treading the valley of the shadow of death, this watchword shall be my, shall rally my faltering breath. For a while from life's fever, my God sets me free. Jehovah said, can you, my death song shall be. So the church's primary mission is to prepare people to die. And if you prepare to live, if you, excuse me, if you prepare to die, then you are prepared to live. And so I pray that this watchword shall rally your faltering breath. Jehovah said, can you? The Lord is my righteousness. And I invite you now to stand and sing with me. Stanzas one, see if you can remember this, one, two, four, five, and seven. Stanzas one, two, four, five, and seven. Maestro.
Let's go forth into the world. <coughs> you never know, buddy. Rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. Thanks be to God. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.